Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. There's no off-season, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this outside on a beautiful, misty morning in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager, Bob Melvin, and just a line drive from Sunken Diamond, the baseball home of the Stanford Cardinal. I had car trouble last night. My car wouldn't start. And so I have brought my car to a shop this morning, and I'm walking back. And you know, it's one of these things, should I Uber, should I have someone pick me up, or should I use my legs and walk and exercise on a beautiful morning? And while I'm doing that, I decided to stop and dip my feet into the River Sully and talk to my good friends here. Last night was such a weird night baseball-wise for me. You know, as you know, I'm not... You know, my my Red Sox have let me down with this whole right thing, and I did not watch an inning of the game last night, which could have been a clinching. The Red Sox are going to clinch. They're going to they're not going to be swept by the Yankees, and even if they are swept by the Yankees, they will win one game, and the Yankees will lose one. I did look at the box score last night, and I saw that uh, Neil Walker hit a, a three-run homer. But that was the extent of the Yankees' offense. Now, as it turns out, the Red Sox only scored two runs and blah, 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 blah. But, man, if I were a Yankee fan, and I'm not, and despite the fact that I've, I'm mad at my Red Sox, I am still actively rooting against the Yankees, man, I'd be worried. I'd be really worried about how dead this offense is. Because they're being shut down by pitchers who stink. The pitchers who shut him down this last weekend uh, against Toronto stunk. They had high ERAs, they've been slapped around, and they've shut the Yankees' lineup down. Nathan Ivaldi, who got off like a house of fire with the Red Sox, has stunk recently, and he shut them down. I mean, how many times do you have to take a look at this lineup and say... Oh, well, this pitcher, they, you got to tip your hat to this pitcher. You got to tip your hat to that pitcher. Eventually, you're going to have to stop tipping your hat. Eventually, you know, if, you're, if you have any, you know, ambitions to go far, you're going to have to start hitting the snot out of the ball at one point if you're the Yankees. You know, this is a, this is a big year for them in so many ways. They're going to win... You know, high 90s, maybe if they go on a run, win 100 games. But their chance of winning 100 games are getting smaller and smaller. Not that that really matters. But the fact of the matter is, this was supposed to be an offensive juggernaut. And, you know, Tanaka is a good pitcher. He's probably going to start the wild card game. And has as good a shot as any to win the wild card game. Because, I don't know if you've been following the Oakland A's, they've been losing some pretty dumb games recently. They got smacked around by Tampa Bay, save for the one extra inning victory. And then last night, their bullpen, which is supposedly their strength, absolutely did a nosedive against the, the, let's just keep calling them the California Angels. They scored seven runs against a not very good Angels team and lost. The A's may have peaked. The A's are a 90-win team. The A's are good. And, of course, the wild card game is one game and anyone could be great in one game. But the biggest thing going in Oakland's favor is the fact that mediocre pitchers can shut down this Yankee lineup because it's not very good. 
That's the dirty secret about the Yankee lineup. It's not very good. Judge is back, but is he back? Is he the same judge? You know, who's the first baseman? Who's who's hitting at catcher? You know, Stanton is having a good year, but he's not an MVP. Trust me, when the uh, Marlins broke up their outfield at the end of last year, it looked like they traded away an MVP, but it wasn't Stanton. It was Yelich. And so the Yankees have to figure out their offense. This is not me rooting for them. I think they may have found a solution with their starter. They have to start Tanaka at this point. It just would be maddening. And I actually think they may have their bullpen issues resolved because I think Zach Britton has pitched quite... He got to a little bit of a stumbling start, but he's pitched quite well for them since. And quite frankly, I would trust him a hell of a lot more than I trust Batanzas or whatever the hell you're getting out of a role that's Chapman. So the Yankees, if they say we're going to start Tanaka and we're going to close with Britton... That still could be a two-to-one loss, the way that they've been playing. It's really kind of startling when you consider the great strength and the fact that last year when they got to within one win of the World Series, that it was their offense that really powered them to that point. Now, yes, their offense was shut down by the Houston pitching in games six and seven, but that, that was Houston. But the Yankees... <clears throat> you know, look at the Red Sox are a flawed team for a team that's going to win 110 games. Mainly because they're probably not going to have their ace at full strength. Their middle relief kind of sort of stinks. And save for, I mean, who's really going to pitch like their ace? Is it going to be Price? Is it going to be Parcello? The Red Sox are a beatable team. Of all the 110-some-odd win team, I mean, they haven't won 110 games, but they will. I mean, there's there's two weeks of games left, and they're going to, you know, they'll go 500 the rest of the way, and that will, you know, that will give them, oh, they do, yeah, I mean, they'll win 110 games in all probability. Either way, they're at 100, even if they lose the rest of their games, if they lose out the rest of the season, okay, they've already won 103. That ain't bad. But for all 103 win teams I've ever seen in my life, the Red Sox are vulnerable because sale and because of the bullpen. So if the Yankees get past, this is a Red Sox fan nightmare, the Red Sox could face a Yankee team that could potentially beat them in a short series, much like how the Yankees beat the Indians in a short series. Of course, the biggest thing going against the Yankees is they don't know what Severino is, and they don't know what the hell their rotation is after Tanaka. But it could be a Red Sox-Yankees division series, and I think it would be harder than people think. But that being said, the Yankees could very well lose that wildcard game, and I, it's so odd that the reason they could lose it is because they can't hit. I mean, their lineup is nothing this is not uh, this is not an uh, a Red Sox fan taunting them. This is just facts. A mediocre pitcher can shut down this lineup. And the A's have some mediocre starting pitchers and some good relievers. And although their bats have been dead recently, they can score in bunches. 
The, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not even going to cut that out. It's interesting that the Indians have clinched. They can sit back. They're drinking pina coladas. They know exactly what they're going to be. They're going to be on the road for the division series, line everyone up. Corey Kluber won again yesterday. I know we're not supposed to look at wins, and I usually don't. But there is something when a guy wins 20 games that you sort of, you just like the, the look of that. And Kluber won his 19th game, and he is undoubtedly going to get a shot to make it 20. He's pitching a ton of innings, striking on a ton of batters, low ERA. He very quietly is becoming a front runner to win the Cy Young Award, as is Justin Verlander. In fact, even though statistically, by all the numbers, by, by, by most of the metrics, you would probably give it to Chris Sale, I don't think you can possibly give it to Chris Sale because he's going to miss a third of the season. And so you look up and go, is it going to be Blake Snell of Tampa Bay? Could be. But at this point, I think it's between Verlander, who's going for... I think this Oddly, it's only... It's, Verlander's only won it once. I, I keep thinking he's won more than one. He's won it once. It seems like it's more than one because he also won the most valuable player that year. And Kluber. And Verlander... Verlander was considered like, oh, you know, he's still really good, but he's, you know, his career is tailing off. Well, he was this runner-up for the Cy Young in 2016. He carried the Astros to the World Series title last year, and this year he could very well win the Cy Young Award again. We're having a second peak of Verlander. I mean, he is he has clinched a position in the Hall of Fame. But once Kluber gets his third Cy Young Award. You get three Cy Young Awards. That's when you start to look at someone like, is he a Hall of Famer? There, there are dudes who have won two. Lincecum won two. Saberhagen won two. And you, you'll, you'll stumble across a two-time Cy Young Award winner from time to time. But when you have three years where you're the best, that's when you got to really say, holy Toledo. Or in this case, holy Cleveland. Now, the... The obnoxious thing is that the Indians have the identical record of Tampa Bay, and they were they are uh, two games or a game and a half ahead of Seattle. So under the Sully playoff rules, we would be in the middle of an absolute wild scrum between Tampa Bay, Cleveland, and Seattle. But instead, Tampa Bay and Seattle have absolutely no shot of making the postseason, and Cleveland is relaxing, sipping a pina colada, and, you know, knowing that everything is all lined up. That's an issue. That's an issue. But I'll tell you something. I would give, I'm not sure if I would give Kevin Cash the uh, manager of the year. I'm not sure I'm ready to do that. The two reasons I'm ready to do that is because Alex Cora is about to manage the Red Sox to the greatest season in their team's history and do so with having Chris Sale lost for a significant chunk of the season and a bullpen that's been a question mark for a big chunk of the year. And there is a very, very strong possibility that they're going to win 110 ball games. That deserves something. Also, the Oakland A's were an absolute afterthought in everyone's heads, and they're already a 90-win team. So I think it's got to be between Alex Cora or who I would personally give it to, Bob Melvin, who this would be, I believe, his third Manager of the Year award, speaking of potential Hall of Famers. But I have to give a little bit of, well, I have to give a little bit of 
love to Cash of Tampa Bay. As they have an outside chance to win 90 games. This is a team that sold at the trade deadline. Remember that? They traded away Chris Archer. They made deals to get younger, and they improved. And, you know, I hear a lot of announcers, you know, Sterling does this, a lot of the other announcers who are old school who kind of roll their eyes at, oh, man, people are doing that whole opener thing that Tampa Bay is experimenting with, that this is, oh, they're trying this, uh, you know, they're they're doing the thing where the starter only lasts like one inning or two innings, gets through the... You know, and then they bring in relievers and, oh, is this bad for the game? Is this bad for the game? I don't know if it's bad for the game, but it was good for Tampa Bay. It was very good for Tampa Bay. When you're heading, remember when I talked about how you, you break the season into threes? Around Memorial Day is the first checkpoint. And then the trade deadline at the end of July is the second checkpoint. And then you see who you are at the end of the year. Well, right around that first checkpoint, when it was like, it was May 19th, so approaching Memorial Day, getting to late May, the Rays were a game under 500, probably about what everyone thought they were going to be. Not a terrible team, but not a good team. Probably, you know, a 75 to 80 win team, a non-contender, and not very good. And that's where they were hovering around. A game under 500, la-di-da, another year in Tampa Bay lost. And that day, Cash started Sergio Romo. But he didn't really, I mean, he started the game, but it was like, you know, all of a sudden, is Sergio Romo in the rotation? He said, no, he's going to pitch the first inning or so, then they'll bring in a reliever, and this, that, and the other thing. Oh, man, this strange thing going on here. What is that about? And everyone rolling their eyes. Well, since then, they're 62 and 44. They're nearly 20 games above 500 since that day. And their team ERA, save for July, they had an ERA in July that was in the, the high fours. But every other month, it's been in the low threes or the high twos. So save for that one blip month they had in July, the Rays pitching has been among the best in baseball since they said, hey, we have a legit Cy Young contender in Snell, and for the rest of the team, we don't, so let's use what we have. Remember, your pal Sully talked about that. I talked about it. Yeah, I I, I refer to myself in the third person. Sully talks about Sully in the third person. In that case, I refer to myself in the fourth person. You're going to have to deal with that. But that is an example, and probably the best argument for Cash to be the manager of the year. Now, did this come from the front office? Did this come from Cash? I don't know. But it's kind of like when they give out the Oscar for best director. How much of that was the director's idea? How much of that was the producer of the studio pushing things? I don't know. Neither do you. So give the Oscar to this, you know, to this director or that director and move on with your day. But the fact of the matter is, yeah, it would be great if everyone waxed poetic for the days of, well, they used to go nine innings and we had five starters and they wanted, sometimes we had a four-man rotation and blah, 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 and all that crap. Well, guess what the Rays don't have? They don't have that pitching staff. So what do they have? 
they used the pitching staff they had. They even traded away the pitcher that everyone was expecting to be the big ace. And Chris Archer said, do you what? We're done waiting for you. Good luck in Pittsburgh. Maybe you need a change of scenery. But there is no arguing that this has worked. Imagine, as they've played nearly 20 games over 500, they were a game under 500 when this began. Imagine if they started with a winning first you know, few months. All of a sudden, then, the Rays might be contending. As it is right now, they're, they have the identical record of a division winner. They do have a shot to win 90 games with a pitching staff that is held together with yarn and tape. The analogy I had made before, and I'll make it again, is, yeah, it's great to have a film with big movie stars, but if you don't, then you have to have an ensemble film. And sometimes you have a star with an ensemble. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest had one of the biggest stars in the world, Jack Nicholson. And the rest of the cast was an ensemble. Now, some of those people in the ensemble went on to become very, very successful, like Danny DeVito and Christopher Lloyd, but most of them were a bunch of that guys. Hey, it's that guy. It's Sidney Lassick. It's Will Sampson. Blah, blah, blah. It's William Redfield. I'm, getting, I'm diving deep. I'm diving, it's Vincent Chiavelli. I'm going to dive deep on One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. But he didn't have an all-star cast. It wasn't Ocean's Eleven. So you use what you have, and you use it to the great strength. So yeah, it would be fantastic for Tampa Bay if they had the equivalent of Glavin Maddox Smoltz, but they don't. And the results are there. And people are aping it and people are are mimicking it because do you know why? It's probably a way for a small market, small budget team like Tampa, like Oakland, to use what you have and say, hey, the most expensive commodity in the world is a starting pitcher who's an ace. And every once in a while, you have an ace starting pitcher who you sign to a long-term deal and it turns out to be a good thing. See Clayton Kershaw. See Justin Verlander. See Corey Kluber. But every once in a while, see Matt Cain. See Felix Hernandez. Where all of a sudden they fall apart and you're stuck with a gigantic contract and someone who you can't move. So what do you do? You do what Tampa did. And you can complain that it's different. You can complain that it's new. You can sit back and say, in my day, in my day. But guess what? Your day is over. And the idea of keeping a pitching staff filled with aces is you know, economically prohibitive. Especially because it can blow up in your face. I mean, CeCe Sabathia has been a wonderful Yankee, helped them win a championship. You don't think the Yankees want to get out of that contract? So the fact of the matter is, it's worked. It has worked in Tampa Bay. And the most exciting thing if you're a Tampa Bay fan, and the scariest thing if you're a fringe wildcard team, or hell, a Red Sox or a Yankee fan, is to think, all right, what if they did that from the start? What if they played that level of baseball from the beginning? You remove the first, no, let's just, let's round it up and call it the first two months of the season where they were a losing team. And you make them, oh, just a little, just a little bit above 500. 
The Rays would be in there, and do you know what? I've seen them play. You don't want to play this team. The luckiest thing for the Astros, Red Sox, A's, Indians, and Yankees is that Tampa Bay won't be in the playoffs. Because guess what? If they were, they might be in the damn World Series. And R.P. McMurphy would be asking to watch the damn World Series as he did in One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, your pal Sully's favorite movie. So as I'm walking away from my car that is currently in the shop, let's just take a peek at the Yankees who have a shot to go far in the playoffs, provided they start to hit, and the Rays, who aren't going to do anything in the playoffs this year, but are setting themselves up to be a true contender in 2019 because they don't have the aces, but they have the pieces. It's an ensemble film. It's like a Robert Altman movie. It's not an, it's not an all-star cast, and sometimes you don't need an all-star cast. Sometimes I need to clear my throat. <clears throat> and you know what? Sometimes, I'm going to use another movie analogy here, and I may have made this before, forgive me, I've done like 1,500 of these. Sometimes you don't need the big stars to, to succeed. Think about some of the most successful movies of all time. For a while, the biggest hit of all time was Star Wars. That starred Mark Hamill. Is he a huge star? Well, he's famous because of Star Wars. Harrison Ford wasn't a big star when it came out, neither was Carrie Fisher. That was topped by E.T., which starred Henry Thomas and Dee Wallace. Eventually, that was topped by Jurassic Park, which starred Sam Neill and Laura Dern. And eventually, the top spot was taken by Avatar, which starred Sam Worthington. Now, who goes to the movies and says, do you know what? I want to see a movie starring Sam Worthington and Sam Neill and Laura Dern and Mark Hamill and Dee Wallace and Henry Thomas. There's an all-star cast for you. Jeez, who would see that movie? Well, apparently, a lot of people have seen them in movies because sometimes you don't need the stars. You need what pieces together properly. And on that note, go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. You'll be old school. Send me an email at info at SullyBaseball.com. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Walking along a beautiful day in Palo Alto. This has been Sully Baseball for the 19th day of September 2018. I'm yours, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.